Yo, 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 what's happening, everybody? Welcome to the LTK Show. My name is Luther Kangas, and on today's show, we've got former NHL player Matt Cook. Matt joins us. Um, I got to know Matt a little bit, coaching baseball. Uh, his son plays with the Blizzard program, and I got to know Matt, and he's gracious enough to take some time to, to sit down and chat about his career. Uh, we get into um, his background in Canada. In Sterling, Ontario, growing up there, all the way into junior hockey, and then eventually the pro level, and kind of what the the jump to the NHL was like for him. Uh, and then we talk about his Stanley Cup win in 2009 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That was awesome. He had some cool stories with that. Um, and then we also we talk about his a few of his suspensions. Um, he opened up to us a little bit about uh, some of the things that happened and um, him having to kind of change his style of play uh, throughout, you know, towards the end of his career as the game evolved. Um, and yeah, it was just, just a fun conversation, good, good, insightful conversation and um, appreciate Matt for, for sharing and taking the time. So here it is guys, LTK show with Matt Cook. All right, guys, we got a special guest with us here today. Um, played 16 seasons in the NHL, reached the 1,000 games played milestone, which is a pretty big deal in the NHL uh, as a member of the Minnesota Wild. He won gold with Team Canada in 2004 and was a Stanley Cup winner with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009. Mr. Matt Cook, thanks for joining, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... How we usually get going here is we have a little warm up since since we're athletes here. I like to get things going with a little warm up. So um, just some quick quick hitters for you. What's your favorite pregame warm up song? Changed over the years. Uh, I'd say my favorite is uh, "Best of Me" by Foo Fighters. Okay, sweet. I'm a Foo Fighters guy myself. Awesome. Um, since you played with the both. Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin? Sorry, Ovi, but it's got to be Sid. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, how about favorite arena to play in? Used to be old Joe Lewis. Uh, just the nostalgia, obviously. The history behind the building, then winning Game 7 Stanley Cup Final in that building. Mm -hmm. uh, just... Uh, surreal uh, best ice would would have been Edmonton for a really long time and then uh, most overwhelming is probably Montreal uh, and only because the Bell Center is based on how uh, old arenas were built and so they're basically sitting right on top of you and okay. it's and it's 22,000 which is big for a hockey wow. arena. yeah it's got to be a heck of an atmosphere yeah that's awesome. Who's the toughest guy you fought? Probably Sean Thornton. Uh, I mean, that I actually fought. I mean, I, I had swings or run-ins with other guys, uh, but the toughest guy that I ever fought was probably Sean Thornton. He took a couple cracks at you after it was over one time, didn't he? That that was the fight. I mean... Yeah, I saw uh, that. That was... Uh, it was a... I mean... There was a lot of back history. Uh, I'd hit Mark Savard coming across the middle, and that was before Rule 48 was in place that, um, yeah, you know, intent to injure. Yeah, well, no, 
a back checker skating east. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Skating east west, making first point of contact, being the head. Uh, I mean, and so I hit I hit Mark, uh, knocked him out cold, and we played the rest of the game in Pittsburgh, and nothing happened. No one went after me. No one even said anything to me. Like it wasn't. I didn't get a penalty. It wasn't. There was nothing wrong with the hit at the time. In hindsight, where the where the rule is now, it would have been illegal. But uh, back then, it wasn't. And uh, Boston, I think the Boston Herald actually put a wanted sign on the front paper with my face on it. <laughs> and so, what I would say, somewhat prearranged between friends on Boston and friends in Pittsburgh, was if I didn't fight, they were going to go after Crosby and Malkin. And so. Uh, Thornton started the game, and I figured I had a better chance at him than I did at Chera, who was six nine on right. skates. Yeah, and so we fought, and I squared off with him, uh, and we fought. I got a couple shots in early. He hit me hard a couple times in the side of the head, and then we wrestled to the ground. And when we were on the ground, I mean, I, th- I figured I'd I'd done my job in right in answering the call, and then on the ground he tried to throw a couple more, and I. On my way, on one of the way to the penalty box, I told him I had issue with it, and after the game, he apologized. He just said it, the emotions were getting him, and because I'd, I'd known him from, I mean, he's an Ontario potato farmer, his family. So, kudos to you for uh, you're giving up a couple inches and some pounds too, right? Well, and that was his job. I mean, he right. he was a fighter. That was the hard part for me playing a lot of times. Like when Mark Crawford was my coach in Vancouver, he kind of said, "Why why would you ever fight?" And I was like, "Cause it's kind of the code." And he's like no one your size ever comes. Like, when I did something wrong, if I hit Sackick or I hit Forsberg, like, I, w- I wasn't getting somebody my size. I was getting somebody that was 6'4 and outweighed right. me by 50 pounds. And so Crawford basically, for for a long time, until he couldn't, what I would say, like, uh, influence me anymore, like, early on in my career, he'd say, you fight tonight, you're not playing for the next five games. And so, I mean, I was young, I... Did, hadn't solidified myself in the NHL. And so, like, I was like, okay, I'm not fighting. And then I'd run around and hit guys and guys would want to fight. And I'd draw four penalties and he'd be like, see, you did your job. Well, yeah, but the rest of the league hates me now, you right. bastard, you know. Like, <laughs> but anyway, it, it is what it is. And uh, I, I was able to, to have a successful career because of it. Yeah, and let's not paint the picture that you only fought. I mean, 398 NHL points, that's not – a slouch of a career by any means. No, I mean, I averaged, you know, 14, 15 goals a year and, you know, 25 to 30 points. And that's with zero power play time. You know? Right. So, yeah. Um, last one of the warm up on a lighter side. So I was, I watched the YouTube video, you uh, pranking Paul Bissonette by cutting his skate laces and stuffing some gum down his gloves. What, what was the best prank you've, seen pulled or been pulled on you uh, i don't know there, there's i mean when you travel there's a lot that go on i mean a, not even a prank i would say the best thing i've ever seen uh was by a guy who's a gm now uh in canada and and i won't give any more details but <laughs> we were on the plane f- from vancouver leaving to, to go to st louis and everyone's got to sit down and buckle up and he's in the back row and next thing you know he's full sprint to the front of the the plane with 
a, a ski a ski like hat on <laughs> ski ski gloves and ski goggles and as the plane's taking off he's standing flat-footed but on like a 45 degree angle and as the plane straightens out a little bit he jumps as if he just ski jumped and it was hilarious <laughs> he probably got pretty good air oh i mean the the whole hands out with the fingers down landing i mean it was pretty classic uh, fantastic the, the same guy's known to sit in a hotel lobby and shake his wrist hand at people and the moment he gets them to wave he'll stare at his watch like he's looking to see what time it is <laughs> he's just uh, just a card yeah love it love it um Hey, let's shift things into your career. Um, why don't we start out just where you grew up? So it looks like born in Belleville, but grew up in Sterling, Ontario. What's uh, what's Sterling like up there? Uh, solid little hamlet of a uh, village of 1,800 people. Uh, has produced three or four NHL guys. Okay. Uh, most notably, probably Rob Ray, played for the Buffalo Sabres tough guy um played before me and then another guy eric manlow played for the boston bruins a little bit before me um yeah i mean one stoplight really not much to do everybody kind of knows everybody uh a buddy of mine no buddy of my yeah he ran the rink and so if there was ever free ice he'd call the house and off i'd go with my stuff and have access to free ice which is really hard to find uh, nowadays. So you could work on your game just about whenever, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it meant he had to uh, scrape the rink or flood the ice again before someone else rented, but the, he honestly didn't care. And uh, kind of full full circle, when I won the cup, uh, you get it for 24 hours, and I showed up at his back door with the Stanley Cup and – he was in no no t-shirt in the middle of July doing lawn work and was like, "Oh my god, I got a shower for that thing." <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty pretty uh cool little town. So, kind of moving on here, how did you so you ended up playing in the OHL? How did that transpire? Uh so as a second year Bantam, uh so 15 years old, I played for a, a tier two junior a uh it's kind of like bc junior hockey league it's 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 now it's more of a development league for college but at the time uh it was a place for guys who were done junior to go and play uh and i'd been like i'd had i don't know 170 goal 170 points the year before in bantam so there was real no point in me playing bantam again and i went and played tier two junior a and um I played with a bunch of 19, 20, and 20-year-old, 20 21-year-olds. Uh, so I When quick- you were 15, huh? Yeah, so I quickly had to grow up. Uh, yeah. But, but I, I lived at home, so that was okay. And I out of there, I, I got drafted by Windsor. Um, but I, it was late. I was drafted in the 10th round to, ma- to major junior. But it was always my goal to play in the OHL because I'd watched the Belleville Bulls play. And so when I went to camp, I was determined and uh, – Ended up, ended up making the team. So, as a fifteen-year-old or sixteen-year-old, I was I was sixteen, turning seventeen. Yeah, so I wasn't an underager, but I was uh, of true age at that time. 
because there wasn't a Bantam draft back then. It was a midget draft. Uh, but just, uh, you know, I, I, my parents wanted me to go to, I had an offer full ride to St. Lawrence university. And, oh, really? Uh, but for me, the quickest way to get to the NHL was to play major juniors. So. Okay. Yeah. What, what would you compare the OHL to in the States here? Pro- I mean, is there a comparison? The USHL is probably the biggest comparison, like the closest thing. Uh, but again, the USHL for most people is is a, a league that you go to post high school mm-hmm. uh, to play in, and so you know you're you're 18 when you get there. Whereas, you know, major junior in, in Ontario and Quebec and British Columbia, you're you're 14 or 15 when you go when you're 16 when you go away to play, and so you're it's it's just a lot a lot younger. And you know, I I work with a lot of athletes, a lot of hockey players, and you know I tell them that it doesn't matter when you're ready. Everyone's different. Like, you know, you get late bloomers that, you know, get a full ride from when they're 20 as opposed to when they're 16 and, and that's okay. You know? Right. Yeah. We, that's actually funny. You brought that up. Cause we had Car- Ryan Carter on and, and he said the same thing. Like, you know, parents get and players get pretty wrapped up in where they're at at any given time when they're 15, 16, 17. And some guys might even quit or hang it up by the time they actually physically, you know, hit their hit their growth spurt and and mature so it's funny that you bring that up too yeah i mean i, I hit my growth spurt at, at you know in between ninth and tenth grade and shot up and and kind of grew up you know and uh a lot of kids that they don't hit that till they're 11th grade 12th grade or even a freshman you know in between that senior year and your freshman year of college and so uh there's lots of options to go play places and Sometimes being in a rush isn't the best thing. Yeah. Um. So it looks like in what was it? So it looks like he figured something out in that ninety six ninety seven season in in the OHL. He went from uh, what nineteen points in ninety five ninety six all the way to ninety five in ninety six ninety seven with a fair amount of penalty minutes. May I add? Impressively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I tried to get a goal and a Gordie Howe hat trick, but a goal and assist in a fight in every game. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you figure out between those two seasons is it just growing a little bit or no i if i if i truly had to say it was opportunity uh when i went when i got to windsor i was playing on the fourth line i'd get a penalty kill time i'd get you know the odd shift after a power play or whatever but you know i maybe only played eight to ten minutes a game and in my second year with Paul Gillis, who played in the NHL, he was my coach, and uh, he put me at first line center, and I played with two overagers, two, so two guys that were 20 years old, and I kind of had free reign to play and uh, played 20, 25 minutes a game, and that, that was the biggest change. Is on top of I got the opportunity and then was able to take advantage of it. I mean, I was always a goal scorer growing up, but when I went and played that tier two league, I I played third or fourth line, and so I didn't get a ton of points. And I mean, I should have had a ton of points. I missed at least a breakaway or two a game, skating with guys that were hungover. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but because the drinking age in Canada is nineteen, and I was playing a bunch of twenty years old, uh, all legal, by the way. Of course, right. you weren't you weren't having any drinks. I'm sure. No, no. Sure, sure. Hey, Matt, um, it's it's interesting you bring that up too about just being given an opportunity. Um, Again, in talking to Ryan Carter, that was something that we kind of brought up. It seems a, a lot of guys who make it to the NHL are either typecast 
or are going to play in that third and fourth line. And are if they're given the opportunity to play first or second line, the numbers are different. And I think you've kind of showed that there. But would you agree with that? Most of the guys in the NHL have the ability to put up more points, but oftentimes are put in a position to where they're either not getting the ice time or just not playing that type of game. I, I mean, I wholeheartedly I believe in that because, let's face it, the NHL is arguably the 700 best hockey players in the world. Right. And, you know, I was a goal scorer when I came to the NHL. Whole nother deal. But Mike Keenan was my coach. And uh, I got put on the fourth line with Donald Brashear and Ke- uh, Chris McAllister, like two guys that were there solely to fight. And, you know, if if I didn't dump it in, we didn't play again that period. Uh, and so I literally played three minutes a game, and my job was to – go spend time in the offensive zone and get back to the bench. Right. You know, and that was my first year in the NHL and, and it, I didn't get any opportunity and, um, and, and, uh, the opportunity that I did get, I felt like I was out there with handcuffs on. Sure. What, um, when did you start to realize like you could play in the NHL? Was it, was it that season where you put up 95 points? Yeah. I mean, I think so, uh, out of my first year junior, I was undrafted to the NHL. I went to Toronto as a free agent to their training camp. And I ended up playing four games, exhibition games, and signing a contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And people got fired over it. But my contract, because I was eligible, you have two years eligibility for the draft. And I, so I had one year eligibility left. Because of that, I had to be signed by a certain day in October. And, you know, I'm playing away in Windsor wondering like where's my money and uh, I called my agent he called Toronto and it had gotten left on Cliff Fletcher Chuck Fletcher's dad's desk and didn't get sent to the league in time so the league wouldn't accept my contract because I was eligible for the draft again the next year and um, so that that put me a that lit a fire under me but B uh, that was the proof that I could play Um, and then I just Tried to run from there. Okay, and then that that was the season that he kind of went off and, and had 95 points. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And then he got picked the following season in 97 by Vancouver in the sixth round, right? Yes, yep. So what uh, what's your draft day story? What do you remember about that? Uh, roller coaster ride. Uh, so I – I'd been told the whole way along that uh, Toronto was going to take me. They didn't have a first or second round pick. They had two picks in the third round. And the whole time they told me that they were going to take me. If if I was still available, their second pick uh, in the third round, they were going to take me. Uh, I'd played over half the year with a little tab on your on all the like roster printouts that I was owned by the Maple Leafs. Um and so most people didn't scout me or anything. But uh, that third pick, Toronto came, and they didn't take me. And what I found out later was it was too much of an embarrassment that the story would get out, and so there was no way they could take me, but that's not what they were telling me. Um, and so, I I mean, I was in Pittsburgh at the time uh, at the draft, and I ended up getting drafted to Vancouver in the sixth round. So um, obviously, like, highlight of my life to – get drafted to the NHL, but um, it was a little bit of a disappointing road to get there. 
Uh huh. And it's, and from where you're from, I assume that was your your hometown team, right? I mean, you Toronto was your squad, right? It was the team that was everyone watched because yep. they were on CBC right. uh, before the Quebec Nordiques moved to Colorado. They were my favorite team. But. Yeah, Sackick Forsberg, right? Yeah, I mean that, they were unreal. You know, Michelle Goulet. They they had they had tons of people uh, playing for them, and then, some of the nastiest jerseys on the planet too, in yeah, my opinion, for sure. <laughs> um, so you get drafted. And did you go to camp that season, that fall? Yes. Okay, and then, but you ended up playing one more season in the OHL. What was that? What was that like? Uh, that decision. How that? How did that go down? Well, it's just. I mean, most the NHL can't. They can keep you in the NHL, but they can't send you to the minors if you have a year of junior eligibility left. And so, uh, I played a few exhibition games. Um, three or four, I think that year, uh, and then went back to junior and was super excited because in Windsor that year we had like 11 19 year olds, so we had a super age team that had played a few years together and you know we were ranked really high. The problem is we had like 17 guys go to NHL camps, and when everyone got back, we kind of just took for granted that we were going to be good and uh, took us a while to get started. Um, and when we, when we finally did, <laughs> we all got in trouble, uh, <laughs> because the, the coach at the time was like putting nine o'clock curfew on us. So we'd won, we'd won a game at home to make it. We were a record. We were 0 and 4. We'd won a game at home against the other best team in the league, eight, four to make us four and four. And, uh, we we're all the older guys are like, well, we're going to go out for dinner as a team right now. So we went out, and like 40 minutes later, the assistant coach came and busted us all, saying that we broke curfew, and they actually traded guys away and blew the team up because of it. Which really, was, yeah, which is super ridiculous. But yeah, um, you know, because we weren't out making trouble, we were out being a team. And uh, but that year was good for me because I got a chance to play World Juniors. I wasn't a summer invite, but I was a I was a December camp invite and uh, actually, you know, was one of the first guys to be told that I had made the team, um, which was a huge shock for me because it was my first ever experience getting a chance to represent your country. Yeah, the, the world junior. Yeah, I mean, I love watching that. Term. All right, so you finished that season um, in the O, and then the next season you make the jump to the pro level. What, what was that jump like for you? The jump to the NHL is, is significant. I mean, you know, quickly I realized, like, if, if I would, one of my attributes was I could move on the ice, a uh, decent skater, but if you didn't know what you were doing with the puck before you got there, you didn't have any time. I mean, someone's right in your face. And life wasn't like that prior to playing in the NHL. So it was a, I mean, it was a, a difference, a huge difference at the time because there was a huge jump and, Early on in that season, I got sent down for a few get for a couple weeks, and uh, when I got to Syracuse, which is where the farm team was at the time, uh, it was a lot like junior. I could get to the puck. I had time to get my head up, and the guy was still two or three strides away, and I, you know, I could have a, I, I had a lot of success um, offensively in the minors, just because it's it's just that one step slower. 
mm -hmm. that, that that allows you to have time to make plays. Okay, so so you started you you made the team out of camp and then you got sent down. Yeah, funny story. Uh, I'd run over top of some guys in camp and scored a couple goals and at the time, so I'm 19 years old, uh, turning 20 shortly in there in that time. I'm 5'10", 198 pounds, and, uh, like, not a lot of excess on me, uh, considering, you know, I have a 32 waist and a 42 ass, uh, you know. And so Keenan says to me, if you get down to 192 by day one of regular season, I'll keep you. And so it wasn't based on my play. It was based on whether or not <laughs> mentally I would buy in to losing the weight Okay, for, yeah, he was a head game him. guy, wasn't he? Oh, big time. And you didn't have much weight to give is what you're saying, right? No. So literally I had – I drank Boost shakes and pro, and uh, they were – back then it was the Power Bar Harvest Bar. Yep. Like there was no – it was just like granola basically together. And I lived off that for the last week at camp. And I added an extra ride every day. So I was doing two bike rides every day. And I got down to 190. So Nice. And he, huh. st he stuck to his word. You know, the day they sent everybody home for the day before regular season, my, my gear was hanging, not in a bag. Did you have to stay below that weight, or did you hammer two large pizzas that night <laughs> once you got to 190? Not, another, another funny story if we have time. <laughs> yeah, give, give it to us. <laughs> All right, so I play for like a couple weeks, whatever. We play in Edmonton on a Saturday night. Uh, fly home right after the game, and we gain an hour. It's only an hour flight, so everybody goes out. And uh, we have a day off the next day and practice on Monday. So my roommate and I, Jason Strudwick, we just eat crap the next day, like recover recovering. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner probably. <laughs> um, and I go to the rink the next day and weigh in because we have a weigh-in every day. And I weighed in at 195, so I just wrote it down on the board and – uh, I get like half dressed, ready to go out for practice, and I get a tap on the shoulder from the trainer that Mike Keenan wants to see me in his office. And I was like, well, "That's strange! Like, what the hell did I do?" So I go up the stairs in my skates into his office, and it overlooks the rink. And so I walk in, and he's like, "You know, you might be the most inconsiderate kid I know." And I was like, "Hold on a sec! What did he just say?" <laughs> and he followed it up with. You, you're so inconsiderate that I might call your parents. And I was hmm. like, I got to be getting punked right now. Someone set this up. Like, <laughs> this is Ashton Kutcher. Where the hell are you? You know, like, this is ridiculous. Uh, and then he goes, You know, I have a 19 year old daughter, and she doesn't always like what I ask her to do, but out of respect for me, she does it. And I'm like, Mike, I, I got to tell you, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he, and he goes, what weight are you supposed to be at? And I was like, 192. He's like, 192. Oh, what, what, what weight are you at today? I'm like, 195, but we had a day off yesterday. Like, we don't play till tomorrow. Like, I just didn't realize it was such a big deal, but uh, just head games with him, you know? Christ, Mike, I drank a Gatorade and have some jerky. What do you want from me? The day off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my, might have been three fat bags, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then you got sent down, um, and then did you, you gain some confidence there in the A, and then you eventually get called back up? Yeah, I mean, I, I got sent down, and 
I got told Brian Burke, Edina boy, uh, sent me down and he basically told me that if I wanted any chance to come back, I better be the best player on both teams. You know, the whole spiel. I spent two weeks down there and I got, I mean, I had a pretty good couple weeks. And when I got called back up, you know, Keenan basically told me that, uh, he didn't want to send me down. He just wanted to punish me in the NHL. Um, and so, uh, he did testing again. And one of the things I did was ride the bike a lot while I was in Syracuse. Cause there's not really much to do there. <laughs> um, kind of an armpit of New York. Yeah. Uh, outside of Rochester, probably. Uh, and so I came back, he did testing again and I, I got 76 on my VO two. Uh, and so then he praised me the rest of the time for, working my ass off when I got sent down. Huh. So he kind of knocked you down, but then he pumped your tires. Yeah, I mean, and he was really good at that. I mean, he, he he expected a lot. He was demanding, and he was demanding mentally. But when you did what he asked you to, and you what he felt was like respecting him or honoring him, he rewarded you. Yeah. Nice. Um. So it looks like what was your what was your role – starting out in the NHL were you kind of a third fourth line guy and then did that evolve at all into a first line role ever so I was a third line guy mostly I was a fourth line guy the first couple years in the NHL and then my third year kind of really got established as a as a third line left winger uh, which then I stayed there pretty much the rest of my career Um, in 2004 uh, before I went to world championships, uh, we had the incident with Colorado and Steve Moore and Todd Bertuzzi. And so Todd got suspended for the rest of the year. And so I got to spend like, I don't know, the last 18 games plus playoffs playing with Marcus Naslin and Brennan Morrison on the top line, uh, which was a ton of fun. And then only one other time in my career. And I, I wouldn't even say I played on the top line. I was playing on the third line with Tyler Kennedy and Jordan Stahl in Pittsburgh, and Crosby was coming back from his concussion that, that he'd been out for a really long time. And so Bals, Coach Balsma didn't want to put him on the first line and make him play 18, 22 minutes a game. So he put him on our line, and he stayed there for six games, and I had seven goals in six games playing with Sid. So. Was it? I remember you in that Vancouver year. You guys always had the Wilds number. It felt like, and and I'm you know I was a big Wild fan, and I I remember you that year where you played with the Morrison line, and damn, you guys were good. And and I always, it was funny to me because I always thought, man, this this Cook guy can play, and to hear that you're also you know an antagonizer or something like that. I never saw you like that because I saw you <laughs> lighten it up against the Wild. So anyway, interesting <laughs> food for thought. Yeah, I think I think in the series where the Wild did beat us, I think I had four goals during that 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 series. So yeah, man, I uh, hated you. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story. Like when I when I first came to to Minnesota, my kid was playing baseball in Edina, and one of the dads came up to me and he's like, you know, I just want to punch you square in the face right now. <laughs> but then he's like, he's like, but I'm so glad you're on our team now. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was like, yeah, you know, they have the saying, hate the player, not the game. I mean, yeah, uh, it's hard because, you know, you, it's it, it's true, but, you know, mo- most people have a persona 
within their profession, even outside of sports. And uh, that isn't necessarily, unfortunately, in pro sports, that's all fans ever see. And so, uh, right, you get labeled as that guy, and and that's not you off the ice or whatever. Y- right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So you spent looks like we got nine seasons with Vancouver, right? And then you got traded to Washington. And was that for the playoff run? Yeah, I mean, uh, it had been coming for a while. So Brian Burke left Vancouver. Uh, Mark Crawford left Vancouver. Elaine Vigneault was brought into Vancouver to coach. And at the time, Elaine and I didn't get along very well. Uh, he didn't like the fact that I didn't fight all the time. But my previous eight years, I'd basically been obstructed from doing so. And so um, he didn't play me much. And the the first year he was there in 06, 07, until he had to when his two young guys went down and got hurt. So then I had to play. And I had... Uh, uh, 21 points the last 19 games because he had to play me 20 minutes a game. <laughs> and uh, I came back the next year thinking I'd earned his trust as someone that can produce for him. And three games in, I was a healthy scratch. And so uh, from that point on in 07, 08, uh, I knew I was on my way out. My contract was up. I was going to be an unrestricted free agent. And it was just a matter of time. And so uh, Dave Nonis was the GM at the time, and he, he basically said to me, like, I have one trade. If that doesn't go through, I'm not trading you. You can stick it out here for the rest of the year. And I was like, fine, you know, like, but I wasn't necessarily what I wanted. And uh, that trade went through. I got a chance to go to Washington. Uh, played the last 19 games there, and I think we went, like, 17-1-2 or something. Wow. In the last – and – the only way, the only chance we could get to make the playoffs was to win our division because we couldn't catch the wild card points. And we caught Carolina like at the second last game of the season or something. Okay. Uh, we lost in seven games to Philly, but uh, it was a great series. Yeah, what was it like um, before we move on from Washington playing with Ovi? What made him so special that you, I mean, from your you know playing perspective or a teammate perspective, Truly what you see is his reality. I mean, he's a ball of energy, uh, and it's endless. He He's a kid in a candy store 24-7. Just uh, loving life, eh? Yeah. Just... He, he loves experiences. He loves, I mean, you know, you crack a bottle of water, and it's the best bottle of water he's ever had. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, <laughs> Things like scoring goals and whatever, it was very contagious at the time because because he just had so much energy. And, you know, I was traded there. Sergei Fedorov was traded there. And Cristobal UA, the goalie, was traded there at the same time. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit overwhelming because it was kind of a star-studded team. You know, Ole, mm-hmm. Kolzig, Ole Kolzig, Victor Kozlov. Ole the know, goalie. Yeah, there was there was a lot of, you know, big names on the team. And, uh truly felt like we had a, a chance, which we did. We just came up short. We lost in overtime in game seven. Wow, yeah. Um, so then after Washington, you got – did you get traded again to Pittsburgh then the, the following season? No, I be, at the end of the season, I became – Your contract under, was up? Yeah, I became an unrestricted free agent. Okay. And, uh, wa- I mean, Washington tried to sign me before the time limit. They just – 
one of the things I wasn't a big fan of was Ovechkin played left wing, which is the position I played. Mm-hmm. And when he double overstayed his shift because he back then he back checking wasn't a big thing for him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was the one that ended up having to miss my shift. So okay. when I would normally play 14 or 15 minutes a game, I was getting like 10 or 11 in Washington. And I just, I just felt like that was going to keep coming. You know what I mean? Sure. And so it wasn't a place that it wasn't a place that I didn't want to be, but I wanted to see if there was other options. Okay, and that's when Pittsburgh swooped in. Yeah, I mean, had a conversation early July first with uh, Ray Shero, and uh, he had told me that he tried for three years to trade for me out of Vancouver, but Berkey wouldn't budge, and uh, and so it was a instant fit for me. I mean, it was a young team that. I thought was destined to, to win at some point. They'd lost in the finals and uh, thought I could take, bring some veteran presence there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, when did you feel like, was it day one, like that this team is special and this team has you know, a real good shot at, at winning the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, you look, you, you flat up, up and down the lineup. You look at the lineup, you know, goaltenders Marc-Andre Fleury and uh, probably the most acrobatic, athletic, goalie i've seen in a forever i mean in ever uh you know not many goalies are told like don't push so hard because you're you're over pushing from where you need to be you know like you just just that that good and you know then to go down the line like Latang and uh crosby malkin you know just keep going down the list and they have all these young guys that are that are you know, destined to be great players mm-hmm. and uh, just super exciting for me. Yeah. Was that team, you know, we talked to, to Brian about this. What's your feeling on <clears throat> teams that ultimately are very successful and the closeness within the group? Did you, was that, was that evident with that Pittsburgh team? It, it is now. Uh, and I would say when I first got there, uh, it was clicky, but Trades were made mid-season. Like in January, we were in 10th place. And they fired Michelle Therrien. They brought in Dan Balsma. Uh, they made some trades, brought in Chris Kunitz, and brought in Bill Guerin. And, uh, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. We, they made all those moves in January, huh? Yeah, we, we, gelled. We, we gelled as a team from that point. Dan basically, he freed us up. We were, yeah. we were all kind of feeling restricted playing under Terry and not that Terry was a bad coach. He just wasn't allowing the skill to shine through. Uh, we were playing a very rigid system that didn't have a lot of like leeway for creativity. And with the players that we had, we had the ability to be creative. You yeah. Know? I think so, that's what you're looking for is creativity with that group. Yeah. And so literally again, that, that next year from January, I think we went like 19, two and three in our last 24 games uh, to finish, to get into fourth place all the way from 10th in January. It's quite a run. Yeah. I mean, everything was right at the right time. And that's the the Stanley cup's the hardest thing to win because you got to win four rounds of best of seven games. Yeah. Um, Was that your first cup final? Yeah. I mean, I, the furthest I'd made it previous was uh, second round. Okay. What was that like? I mean, how were the nerves going into that? 
All right. And and talk about the grind, too, of the playoffs, if you can wrap that yeah, up. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the, the, the grind of the playoffs, we were fortunate. Like, you know, Philly was tough because they were like, I mean, they're, li- they're literally the biggest rivalry Pittsburgh has uh, at the time. And so we, we ended up beating them in six games. So we had a little bit of a breather. Then we played Washington, who might be Pittsburgh's biggest rival now. Um, and that that series went to seven. And back and excuse me, back and forth. And, you know, one game, I think they showed it recently, but Ovechkin and Crosby both had a hat trick. Like, you know, just cra- crazy stuff. Wow. Uh, but in the third round, we caught a break. We played Carolina, and Carolina had – exhausted all their energies to get into the third round and uh we were able to beat them four games to nothing wow and so we had some rest heading into the 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 final round but the problem with that is is like it's super cool or supposed to be super cool to have a playoff beard (laughs) but the stanley cup final happens in june Uh uh-huh and it's 85 (laughs) it's 85 degrees outside and it's 65 in in a, in a rink and so that hair on your face just heats up so fast it's ridiculous like kudos the guys that carry a beard like on purpose like because they want one Thornton. because yeah he just shaved it actually <laughs> he did i saw that video yeah but um like i, I don't know how he could play with that thing because like my face was burning up just overheating you know and we get to game seven in in detroit I lived out that like 200 times or more on playing pond hockey as a kid. Uh-huh. You know? It's 5:30. It's dark out. Parents are up the hill and they're honking the horn, and it's like, okay, next school wins game seven, Stanley Cup final. You know, and <laughs> and so I was in that scenario. It was literally uh, we were up two nothing. We get into the third period, and Sid had gotten a really bad Charlie horse in the second period and didn't play like midway through the second period on, and uh, we were just hanging on. And in the third period, we could, like it was all we could do to get the puck out of our end, it felt like. Wow. Like Detroit was just coming and coming and coming. And then finally, um, uh, you know, th- they have the face-off in our zone with, I think, five seconds left, and Fleury made a huge save on Lidstrom diving to one side. and uh, Surreal after that moment, like even even hard to – fathom but you know to tell you about the the grind uh when i was maybe fifth or sixth in line to get the stanley cup and when i got it everyone kind of gets it go for a little skate around the ring put it above your head mm-hmm. kiss it a couple times bring it down and like when i put it over my head and the thing's 35 pounds so it's not light right uh i almost went ass over backwards <laughs> with the cup because it, it it got like i was not really thinking about how weak i am right now it got behind me i almost fell over backwards and i like right away rushed and handed it to the next guy i didn't even like i didn't really even skate around with it and then you gave it all you could give yeah and then we get in the locker room after and our families all come in and we're all celebrating together and literally i i'm lying on my bag with my gear on my my little jackson my little son and he's he would have been five at the time. He undoes my skates. Uh, and I just sit in my gear, lying on my bag with my feet on the bench for an hour and a half. Like, literally can't move. What a cool moment, huh? 
Yeah. So the grind just caught up to you, or, or you were well, yeah, you can shock or what? No, you can just finally take a breath. You can finally just let, yeah. let, go, let go, you know? Like the, the stress is over. Yeah. Yeah. And then wow. the next day, did you uh, peel that beard off, or did you leave that on? I imagine you got rid of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't – the days kind of gelled together after sure. that for a I while. Suppose. Yeah, uh, such we, a high. We uh, – <laughs> <laughs> we we stayed so the families all came in and they had their separate plane they all left just the guys and the, the, the organization partied in detroit in the locker room for probably another hour and a half or two hours and then we flew back we we arrived in pittsburgh at four thirty, and we went straight to mario's house nice and, uh-huh. uh and so i think we stayed we might have stayed at mario's for like a day and a half straight. I'm not sure. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, it, when I say they gelled together, it's, it's kind of hard to remember when I shaved the beard off. Sure. Makes sense. That's awesome. Um, so you already mentioned one thing you did with the cup when you, when you got it for 24 hours, what else did you, what else did you do with it? Any, any fun stories with that? So at the time my kids were, uh, 16, and my middle one would have been eight and five. And okay. so I let, I let them all kind of choose what they wanted to do uh, with it. So my littlest one, he wanted Timbits out of the cup. So, and I, for those of you that haven't been to Canada or to a Tim Hortons, because uh, they are in the, you know, the northern states now, mm-hmm. uh, Timbits are donut holes, basically, but they're world famous for... Tim Hortons is world famous for having really good ones. Mm-hmm. So we went to a Tim Hortons. He filled the top of the the, the cup up with Timbits and snacked with his buddies on Timbits. <laughs> nice. So awesome. Uh, my middle daughter, who's a just grad, just finished her freshman year at the U, uh, she wanted a root beer float from A and W out of it. And so we went to A and W. We went behind the counter. She got the mix the ice cream and a root beer right out of the fountain in the top of the cup. And she got a root beer float out of it. And then my 16 year old wanted to have champagne out of it. So we let her. Nice. Yeah. So does the keeper of the cup sanitize that thing? Cause I know there's food, beverages, jello. I've seen it all. How, do, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's stainless steel. It doesn't carry any germs anyway. Sure. There you go. You know, or sterling silver or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I mean, it's – the keeper of the cup stays with it. He, he's got gloves on, and he, he's doing what he needs to protect that thing. And I don't know if you know the story behind it, but in 94 when the Rangers won, it came back to the league in, like, six pieces. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Really? And, and so they they basically said they had to – at that point they made a replica of it. And uh, they hired a guy, a full-time guy. Now I think there's three guys, but they hired a full-time guy to stay with it all the time. Yeah, and, and Carter told us that unless you won it or were part of it, you can't hold that thing over your head. And I guess that's taken pretty seriously. It's you and, and the father, is that correct? Uh, Do you remember that? No. That's so what for, Carter said. Yeah, with, with us. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but and I had Walt was my cup guy. Sure. Uh, but Mike is one of the others. and Okay. So there's three of them. But Walt basically said that no one was allowed to lift it over their head unless I did it with them. Gotcha. Okay. So if, I'm, so if I was standing there face-to-face with you, we could lift it over your head together. Right, because you were I, part but, of it. 
but you weren't allowed to lift it over your head by yourself. Gotcha. So, and likewise, so we put it in the public and did a charity event for two hours. And I think like 3000 people went through the line and then, uh, we had a bat, I had a bash at our, I call it a cottage, but I have, I, we have a cottage up in Canada and we had a bash up there with it. We had about 130, 140 people. Wow. And, uh, I think we put 60 bottles of champagne through it. Uh, <laughs> I bet you weren't weighing in at 192 after those couple couple weeks, were you? I, I bet you not. <laughs> Although, by that time, I'd matured enough that I, w- my, I was playing at about 209. Sure. So I was playing a little bit heavier than... Well, and you me. proved yourself. You didn't have to get to any weight, right? Yeah. But, so, my I, I think at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, like you pack the cup in a suitcase on wheels and away it goes... And as as sad as I was to see it go, I was relieved because my arms and shoulders from pouring champagne into people's <laughs> mouths, like, because again, like, they can't pick it up to drink out of it, so I I have to be the one pouring it. And there was oh, a time, there was a, there was a time. I'm, I have a brother that's five years younger. He's a police officer back home, and there was a time when I was like, Steve, you gotta do this like enough. I can't. <laughs> my arms are gonna fall off. Is that a, <laughs> is he a Mountie? Is that no, they, no, no. He's he's just a city city police. Gotcha, officer. gotcha. That's awesome, man. Um, let's fast forward a couple couple years. Um, in 2011 with the Penguins, um, you got suspended for 10 games for an elbow on Ryan McDonough. And if I recall, if I, my research is is correct, you came up publicly and said that you had to change your style of play. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, I'd already been starting to to make changes. I'd been working with Dan Balsma, you know, watching some video and stuff. Um, the, the game had just had gotten to a pace where, and and a place actually, that the onus of being hit was no longer on. There was no onus on the guy being hit anymore, and so. You know, not, not right or wrong, in my opinion. Uh, I teach the game differently than I was taught. I was always taught, you know, it's survival of the fittest. Like, you get him before he gets you type thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in I don't, I don't, early 2000s, maybe even before that, late, late 90s, we had a few uh, broken necks from people getting hit from behind, and we started putting stop signs on the back of kids' jerseys. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so young kids think, well, there's a stop sign there. I'm safe. If my back's turned, I'm safe. And, uh, oh, that's interesting. You know, in my opinion, like, if a guy's skating at you and you have the puck, the last thing you should do is turn your back. So you feel like they almost use that to their advantage or could have been using it to their advantage. That's, that's really interesting. If you watch the game today. Oh, totally. The, the amount of people that turn their back when they're in a vulnerable position, like I was always taught, like if someone's coming, get yourself up close against the boards because it won't hurt. Right. You know, don't don't turn your back. Don't be three feet away from the boards. You know, all these things. And the, the game has just changed and evolved and people want more skill. And so uh, that means puck possession. And so get, people don't want to get hit. I mean, I, millennials are, mo- most of them are soft. Mm-hmm. I mean, Let's, you know, that's just the reality. And so, you know, they, they're going to try and get out of the way. And, uh, 
you know, and I, and I don't blame Ryan for that hit at all. What I blame for is the game was changing and evolving into something that, you know, in the early, late, mid-90s, late-90s, when I came into the league, it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was struggling to have success with how I was approaching the game. Yeah, so you it, had to rewire almost your brain, right, or, or ways to play. Yeah, because if I just change, like, how I hit or when I'm going to hit, like, it's too late. The way you process the game has already happened, and then you – like, that's what happened in McDonough. Like, he, he's – I'm skating straight across the boards, red line. He's skating to get the red line to dump the puck in. And, like, I'm going to hammer him, and his head's, like, right at my waist, dumping the puck in. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like – this isn't going to be good. So I slow up. I put my my hands and my elbows up to kind of veer out of the way to get the boards. And my elbow clips his face yeah. straight straight in the chin. Thankfully, he wasn't hurt. But that's what happened. And so th- that was me in the moment of, like, go get the biggest hit to, oh, crap, that's going to be dangerous. Putting trying your hands to react. Up. And it, it just wasn't enough, you know. And I, and, I think, too, people who – who didn't play sports and, and obviously we didn't play at, at the professional level, but people grossly underestimate how fast things happen. And what I mean by that is you've got people sitting on their couch thinking, well, that was cheap. That was this and that. But in the reality, these things happen in split seconds, you know, and I think you did a good job of describing that, but was there a time when I, I, I want to say, did you, did somebody said you purposely put your skate on somebody's Achilles or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, that was so, my buddy. I brought that up, and I I want you to hear from you. But he goes, "There's no possible way that he could have done that on purpose." And I agree with him. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean Eric Carlson. He, he's yep. with San Jose now, but he was with Ottawa at the time. And him and I had had some battles over a couple of years. Really good player, amazing player actually. And uh, um, we were in the play, like you know, we we were we we had a playoff series against them, and you know, just a He's a hard, for a very skilled defenseman, he's, he's a hard, hard-nosed player. And uh, I don't know if he got me earlier in the game or whatever, but uh, we were in Pittsburgh when we penalty killed, we wanted to create pressure. And so if I could get up ice and disrupt their breakout, I had free reign to do that. So in this play, the puck gets dumped in. Uh, I'd already hit him earlier in the penalty kill in the corner. And so puck comes into our end. We dump it back down. I go back down again. And in the middle of him going to get the puck, he realizes that I'm right there. And he kind of leaves the puck and turns one way. And so when he turned, I had tried to hit him and just rub him out because he's against the boards. It's not like I wasn't trying to hurt him. I was just trying to rub him out. And my, my, my leg, my left leg goes up into the air from, from the contact. And when it comes down, it goes right in between his uh, his shin guard and his Achilles guard. And I don't even know what happened. I just turn and skate and go to the bench. And he can't get off the ice. Like, I... Yeah. People I mean, don't realize how impossible that would be to try to do is what I'm getting at. Oh, I mean, there's a tendon guard there for a reason. You right. know what I mean? Because like, shit can happen. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean quirky like weird weird thing and you know part of the reason why everyone so again 
lovely media, but, uh, you know, the media covers it and uh, Ottawa owner is going to hire a forensic <laughs> uh, investigator to see if I intentionally tried to do it. And how would that dude know? Brian didn't even play past eight eight years old. Well, he was the owner, so he was trying to defend. No, I'm team, saying that whoever, whatever oh, private the, investigator. How do you know oh, that guy? Even how would he well, know? <laughs> but but again, like even if even if they could prove that my action was whatever, they'd ha- how would they know that my brain exactly? Like, how would they prove that my brain was right that you were intending to do. to do it? Yeah, yeah. So, but then everyone's like, "Oh, he did do it on purpose. He did," you know. And I mean, that's. That's ridiculous. You ever I talk mean, to I've, Carlson about it? No, I oh, okay. I called him. I tried to reach out to him, and sure, not not no response. So hmm. Swedes, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in general, like like you know, I don't know. I reached out to Ryan McDonough after the hit and apologized, and was you know made sure he was okay, he wasn't hurt, and you know whatever. And he he responded right away. Thanks for reaching out. You know what I mean? Like yeah, and. I always used to say I played rugby as a as a high schooler and it was my favorite sport. And the reason why it was my favorite sport was because literally everything that happens within the four lines of the field stays on the field. Right. And everything is in the spirit of the sport. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all about the game and in the spirit of the sport. So literally most rugby teams when they leave the field they walk arm in arm with the other team and they go have beers. Yeah. Like you know that's just that's just the way it is, and that's awesome. Uh, it, it just it doesn't happen, in my yeah. opinion, enough with sports. Yeah, no doubt. Um, before we move on from Pittsburgh, you got any good Sidney Crosby stories? We talked about Ovechkin, but what you got any you got any goods there? There's tons of goods. Most he wouldn't be that okay with me sharing. But, <laughs> something uh, clean, yeah. Something you're comfortable <laughs> with. Yeah, S- Sid has. Uh, well, I'll put it this way. After watching some of the Michael Jackson or uh, Michael Jordan stuff, yeah, sorry, uh, Sid may have a competitor that that is at the same level as Sidney Crosby. So you're so you're saying that they're neck and neck com- competitive wise. Well, I mean, jo- Jordan said. I just want to compete, whether it's for a dollar. If you can afford a dollar, I'll compete for a dollar. If you can a million dollars, I'll compete for a million dollars. Right. It's not about the the dollar value. It's about actually competing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sid is going to compete with everything he does. Uh, he'd sit in it. Him and I were stallmates. Like there was one empty stall in between us that was quote unquote Mario's stall um, in honor of Mario. But yeah, uh, that's cool. Very cool. Sid Sid would like the mini Dasani water bottles. We always had them, and he'd drink one and then he'd throw it at the garbage can. If it missed, he couldn't move until he made it from where he was. <laughs> and so, like nine times out of ten, I'm the one that has to go get the friggin' water bottle and throw it back to him because if he moved, he wouldn't necessarily be in the exact same spot. Then he couldn't say he made it from that spot. That's all. That's awesome. Just couldn't and move on with life. Uh, sometimes I would just stand there for twelve tries, like because it. I I know he's it. He, it's gonna go and it's gonna go on until he makes it. Like and he's the first one on the ice. He's the last one off the ice, and everything he does is competitive. And it's mm-hmm. 
there's a reason. I mean, he, he does things at full speed that I can't do standing still. I sure. mean, he's that good. But there's a reason why, and there's a reason why because he has a competitive nature to him that he hates to lose. That's a theme, I tell you what, on, on all these podcasts we've done and with people we've talked to who have been successful or who have been around people who have been play successful. Played at a high level. This is a theme, the, the competition piece. And all you guys have it, but then it seems like even the, the real top guys have it on a different level. But it's really interesting. That was an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So after Pittsburgh, I think it was after Pittsburgh in 2013, you signed with the Wild. What uh, what was your time like here in Minnesota? Uh, well, the re- I mean, I was in negotiations with Pittsburgh to stay there. and uh, They were offering me a two-year deal. Minnesota offered me a three-year deal. Uh, Mike Yo, who was the assistant coach when we won the Stanley Cup, was the coach here, and he called me and just said that, you know, he he needed some help, you know, getting this team to go in the right direction as one. Uh, and so he'd seen the work that I'd done in Pittsburgh, as far as like, you know, being making it a full unit and you know not not individual guys. And so uh, I agreed to come. We came. Um, August of 13 and, uh, you know, scored my first game. So started out in a high, but, uh, was that your thousandth game too? No, that was, no. that was mid mid season. Okay. Uh, but, uh, that was against, uh, LA the first game, but we, uh, you know, ran into some issues like, uh, one of them being the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh yeah. God, they were stacked. You know, it's, I mean, in that, in 2013-14 year, uh, and that was the year, I mean, we literally, we, we, we should have beat them. And we, we, we played them unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that, so that year, uh, I get suspended for hitting Tyson Berry in the playoffs. Oh. And at the, and at the time, uh, I went to the league and had a hearing and, they came down with, I think it was four games, and there was only three games left in the season in the series. Ugh. And so, regardless, uh, I was if we won, I was going to get to come back and play. And I wanted, uh, I, I wanted to appeal because I truly felt like like the, they had videos online for specific rules that said. Guys can go into the first point of contact as their knee and their shoulder, and if a guy di- like dives out of the way at the last second, the only thing left to hit is your knee. And I actually had the video. I slowed it down for them. Th- this is what I had, and uh, I was asked by the team not 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 to appeal because uh, they didn't want Colorado to get any motivation out of it. Sure. And so I didn't. I, you know, I've always been a team guy, and so I didn't appeal it. We ended up going on to win the series and got to play Chicago. The problem is um, when we uh, – Bill Daly was in the hearing at the time because it was uh, um, the first hearing of the new guy that was in charge. And so Bill Daly told Mike Russo after that, if there was ever a case for a non-suspension or appeal, it was mine 
because of the direct evidence that was specific. And if you would have appealed, you would have been vindicated? I would have got off, yeah. Wow. And the Oh, man. Crazy. But that was after the fact when I... Sure. Because you, you only have 24 hours to decide whether or not you're going to appeal. Sure. And I, I just... At the time, I felt like it was more important for me to do what my team was asking me. Uh, and hindsight, probably it, it wasn't because, you know, fast forward to a year later and, you know, I have some injuries. I come back and play. We beat St. Louis. We lose to Chicago again. And the team buys me out in the summer of the last year of my deal. Right. And uh, and so, you know, you look back now and think, well, I should have stuck up for myself because – because the, the team didn't have the faith, the loyalty with me like I did to them. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and, it, and you know, I can't complain about Minnesota. I made some great friends. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've obviously stayed here. Uh, but there, there are days when you wonder, like, you know, if I was in Pittsburgh, what, what, what the outcome would have been. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Because sure. at, the, at the time that I got told I wasn't playing, I had a year left. And, you know, I, I wasn't really ready to be done. Sure. Uh, m- mentally, anyway, I felt like I had a lot more to give, and it's hard to, it's hard to sit and watch TV and, you know, know that you're better than sixty percent of the guys that are out there. Right. You know. Yeah. What uh, What made you stay in Minnesota here? Uh we'd had moved. I don't know. I want to say my kids had moved sixteen times in eighteen years. Wow. And uh, it was just time for us to put on the brakes. My kids were in Edina's school system. We felt like it was a great spot for them to, to go on and have success in the future for their careers. And so we just thought we'd hit the brakes until, you know, they're, they're through high school. Hornets. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, cool. How about last thing you, uh, since, since you've retired, how long ago did you open up your, your training facility um, in Edina and talk a little bit about that? Well, so I guess, I guess it would be f- the first summer out of, so in 2016, I, uh, I, I trained four freshmen out of Edina, uh, Mason Nevers being one of them, Ben Brinkman, uh, Peter Colby, and anyway, in my basement, just to see if it was something that I interested in. Yeah. So I, I got a chance my last two years to train with a guy by the name of Andy O'Brien, who he does the he does the um, uh, he's the sports scientist for the Penguins now, but he's trained Crosby since he was uh, at Shattuck here. So okay. early on, early on, and he just goes about things specifically towards hockey, and it changed my my mindset I Olympic lifted for years and you know I, I felt like this was at 35 I felt like I was skating like I was 25 and just you know lose you know function of movement and so I ch- changed the, how I decided I should train I tried these boys out on this to see if it was something I was interested in and I, I loved it you know them being at the house training getting ready uh and they all had great years the next year so the following year, I, we had like 17 kids that wanted to train. And so okay. I, it, I couldn't do that at my house. They just demolished right. my house. So I actually partnered with a guy. His name is Zach Rourke. And out of that, we created Perfect World Hockey Training. Uh, we were out of upstairs at Hattrick for two summers. And this is our la- – this is our – this will be our second summer now. 
at our when we can move in at our new location uh, right across 169 from Bryn Mawr Arena. But we have about 85, 88 athletes now, uh, and we 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 train specifically for hockey, uh, and it's all about functional movement. So I don't care how much you can lift in the gym. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to know how fast you can uh, you, you you are on the ice. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, appreciate having you on, man. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Hey, Matt, I got a couple quick ones for you as a cool down. I'm wondering, have you seen the show Letterkenny? No. Have, are you aware of it? Yes. Okay. Uh, number two, have you seen the hockey movie Youngblood? <laughs> yes. Dude, that is one of my freaking favorites of all time. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, if that or Slapshot was on, I mean, you, you couldn't get me away, that's it's, for sure. Same here, man. <laughs> that's That's all I got. All right, guys, there it is. Hey, thanks again to Matt Cook. Appreciate you taking the time, man, and sitting down and sharing your stories. And thanks to Eric Ongstead, as always. I thought he picked us up today, Angie. You carried us, in my opinion. Um, And that was cool. So thanks again for listening, guys. And until next time, learn, try, know, and achieve. Huh, babe.